0: Welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience.
1: And this is Trisha. and Donald Peewee Gaskins was really a bed swerver.
0: Bed swerver.
1: Bed swerver.
0: Oh, is that because he had lots of relationships? hmm An
1: unfaithful spouse who swerves from bed to bed.
0: That certainly describes Donald Gaskin. You're right.
1: Yeah. I mean... Dude must have been super charming. Somehow. I'm curious if his, like, wives were, what, like, their stature, because he was, I don't know if we say it in here, but I think he was 5'3". I I heard somewhere between
0: 5'4 and 5'5". Five five. Oh. But That's still. I heard five heard 5'3". Well, small for, short for a man. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm wondering if, like, you know, the women he dated, if they're married. Um, were small. Were small or not. Well,
0: they were mostly teenagers, so True. it's a higher likelihood.
1: Yeah. Well, so we are here back with Donald Henry Gaskins, a.k.a. The Meanest Man in America, a.k.a. Pee Wee, part two. Last part, we got it into two parts. We weren't sure about this one. Yes. But like his stature is short, so is his (laughs) (laughs) number of case episodes. Right. Um, but yeah, so before we get into part two, Courtney, do you have a question today?
0: I do have a question for you. So as we are getting into cold weather season, i um, was wondering, what is your favorite like cold weather beverage?
1: Hmm... Pretty plain. I mean, mm-hmm. that ten- tends to be what I pick at night. Like, so a peppermint tea or a chamomile tea. I mean, I like hot chocolate, too, because it tastes good, but it's just too much sugar. And then I kind of feel yucky afterwards. And mm-hmm. same with the hot cider. I like the hot cider, but it's also um, too sweet. So, I mean, I guess I could have a little bit of those, but I can have, like, cups and cups and cups of tea. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What about you? I have a feeling you like sweeter
0: than that. I do like sweeter than that. I am definitely a cocoa hot chocolate girl um try not to have it every day because it is a lot of sugar but like if I come home and I'm like chilled and want to like warm up like that's what my go-to is
1: do you put marshmallows or whipped topping on it nope if you had those things would you put it on there nope okay
0: I don't like marshmallows what about whipped topping I mean, it's fine, but it doesn't. I don't feel like it adds that much.
1: Okay, yeah. I love whipped cream. I made homemade whipped cream for my homemade key lime pie for Thanksgiving, and it was so good. Mm-hmm. I put it on my coffee because I had some leftover.
0: That does sound good.
1: Did you smell the aroma when you came in my house? Did you notice? Can you smell it now?
0: It definitely smells like something's baking or I made, was baked. I made bread. Ah.
1: Oh. Yep, I'm gonna make a roast tonight. You. Um, that's why my sister and my nephew are here because I said I was gonna make food. Got it. Um so when I make a roast I made some homemade bread and I'm going to try it in the um that cooker thing we'll see it's if I cook it the way that the recipe says that I if I do it that way it should come out kind of like a prime rib Okay so I don't know I know you don't care for beef but I love prime rib medium rare oh my gosh
0: All right it's amazing Well I'm glad that you have a dinner to look forward to tonight We'll see
1: I don't want to screw it up, but...
0: That's all right. I'm on my own for dinner tonight, so I am making pasta. I would invite which my you... my husband does not like. <laughs> I would invite you over, but you won't like my food. Right. I am not a roast person. I could find a piece of chicken. <laughs> That's okay. I've already got, like, all the stuff ready okay. at home for my nice pasta okay. meal. Okay.
1: Um. So, just to... <laughs> To uh, remind everyone, the book we're using for this is American Serial Killer Stories, The True Story of the Meanest Man in America by Roger Harrington, which I think he says he co-wrote sort of with Donald Gaskins or at least interviewed him and stuff I think like it was that. based
0: on the book that Gaskins wrote oh, with someone else. It sort of went
1: second tier on this one, didn't you? We? did,
0: yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I tried to find the original uh-huh. that Gaskin wrote, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, and I
1: think he says something. I think something. it's out of print. Yeah, I think he says something in here about how that is a hard book to find. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's probably some sort of collector's item or something like that.
0: Right, because back then, like, nobody cared.
1: Yeah. I tried to read the um, book that, um, what the frick is his name? The First Serial Killer in America. I, I'm going blank. H. H. Holmes. Yes, I tried to write his book. I mean, sorry, read his book that he supposedly wrote about, like you know, his story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, it was tough to get through. I mean, because I just couldn't, I couldn't tell what was true or not. You know. Right. So I was gonna do H. H. Holmes, and I was gonna use that book to do it. But then I was reading it. And I'm like, this is like he wrote this book. So like, how true is any of this shit? Mm-hmm. So I put that on hold and perhaps indefinitely. That's okay. Anyways, enough of that. Courtney, do you want to summarize last week's episode?
0: Yes. So to bring everyone up to speed, in our part one, we learned that Donald Henry Gaskins was born to his 14-year-old mother, who was a sex worker. He claimed to have been physically and sexually abused by several of her clients and our boyfriends. And so he dropped out of school at age 11, and by his early teens had been sent to reform school for rape. He was repeatedly beaten and sexually assaulted, escaped more than once, and was finally released at age 18. He had a series of child brides and then continued to commit crimes that got him in and out of prison. Eventually, he killed a man in prison to gain clout and safety. And so by 1961, he was out of prison and starting life again at the grand old age of 28.
1: And let's not forget that many of his marriages weren't legal because the ones before that hadn't been
0: annulled or, or
1: yeah, divorced or whatever, so. Right. He, said, he kept saying he was getting married, but whatever. The, the woman must have thought so, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. All right, so in September of 1962, Pee Wee committed his first sexually violent crime as an adult. He molested a 12-year-old girl who lived near his mother's house. He was arrested and charged with statutory rape and for carnal knowledge of a child. Ever the escape artist, during his court appearance, he was able to jump out of a window that was 30 feet high after a deputy removed his cuffs. He found a cop car with the keys inside and drove to his mom's house. He grabbed some money from there, took the stolen cop car, and went to Prospect, South Carolina, where he left the car and hoofed it. When he got to Dillon, South Carolina, he stole another car and then went to North Carolina to the Lumbee Indian Reservation in Pembroke. He stayed a bit, then left again, eventually buying a car and going back to Pembroke. He got married, quote unquote, again, while on the run to a 17-year-old named Lenny, or Ellie and I. That ended three months later when he went to the store and then didn't return to her. So, Courtney, his first violent sexual crime is against a 12-year-old. Do you think that he is attracted to that age group based on what we discussed last week? Or do you think it's more that it's an easy target compared to, say, a grown woman, being that he is so small? Also, why do you think he keeps getting married? He just seems to walk away after a short while.
0: So we talked a little bit last week about how Donald does seem to have a preference for younger girls when it comes to his marriages and victims. And I think this preference came from a few different places. First... He was small statured, so younger partners would physically fit him better. Um, And additionally, you know, maturation and development can be stented at an age when a person experiences trauma. And so since Donald experienced such severe trauma as a young teen, it's possible that his sexual development also stopped around that age as well, um, leading him to be attracted to younger girls no matter how old he got. And as for his multiple marriages, I think this is directly related to my theory that he had a disorganized attachment style where he craved love and craved connection so much that he would fall really hard and fast for partners, but would then kind of get freaked out when things got serious or vulnerable and would then just bolt. But you don't think he had like borderline personality disorder or anything like that? I don't think so.
1: Like. Falling that like hard, but then kind of splitting.
0: <laughs> it's a similar mechanism, mm-hmm. um, but, but I don't think he has BPD. Yeah. After he left this
1: child bride, he
0: met up with his former wife, Jerry. She knew
1: about his molestation charge, but he must have charmed her because they went to f- together to Florida so he could find more carnival work with Poss. Well, apparently Poss had killed himself when his wife and four children had died in a house fire. Jerry left Pee Wee after this and he got back on the road. "'He was pulled over somewhere in Georgia and tried to evade the police, "'but he got a flat tire and ended up in a lake. "'He still managed to run on foot and he got on a train. "'He found out later that the police thought he had drowned in that lake. "'He ran to another ex-wife, (laughs) Lenai, who turned him in. "'He was sent back to South Carolina and finally received his sentence. "'He got six years in prison. "'He was able to regain his top dog status in prison, however. "'He had learned he'd been there enough anyways.' He was paroled after four years for good behavior in 1968, so he's now 35. He claims that it was at this time that his, quote, bothersomeness, what he called an urge to kill, came about. Courtney?
0: In simple terms, I think that Donald was bored when he got out of prison, and that triggered his, quote, bothersomeness. You know, he had gotten a taste for killing while in prison and was also attracted to the power that it gave him. So I do believe that he had antisocial personality disorder and one of the traits of people with ASPD is feelings of boredom and thrill-seeking behaviors and so what better thrill was there than killing? There was one
1: condition to his parole and that was that he couldn't go to Florence Florence County, South Carolina for two years. This is where his daughter lived and he wanted to see her so he moved to a nearby town and got a job as a roofer. In his downtime, he would steal and sell cars. The, quote, bothersomeness was getting worse. He said it felt like a pain that began in his testicles then traveled up to his head, where it then felt like a migraine. He said that there was a voice telling him to kill and hurt people. What do you think, Courtney? Did this schizophrenic-type symptom just show out of, show up out of the blue? The pain allegedly told him to kill his first wife, Mary. He said when the voices to kill came, he would try to leave the area so he wouldn't hurt his family. He decided to cruise around the highway and went back to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and then to Savannah, Georgia. He was looking for hitchhikers, although he claims he didn't understand why he was doing this. He claims to have given many hitchhikers rides before he actually killed one. He sometimes would ask the females for sex, and if they said no, he would get aroused and have fantasies of harming them. In 1969, he killed his first female hitchhiker. She was blonde, and she told him her name was Angie. He was 36, which may be a little older than the average serial killer when they start. However, he was in and out of jail so much, who knows if he would have started earlier if he could have. What do you think?
0: So first of all, I don't believe that Donald was schizophrenic. Um, And I don't think that the voices he heard were like truly psychotic hallucinations. Personally, I think that these voices telling him to kill were really just kind of his own internal monologue telling him to act on his impulses and urges. And um, as for serial killings starting in his mid-30s, it's actually not that uncommon. Um, According to Wikipedia, the average serial killer starts killing in his late 20s to early 30s. Um, And he was incarcerated for the majority of his 20s, so he did have some catching up to do.
1: Yeah. I didn't think he was schizophrenic either.
0: No. I think he just said that for his book or something. I don't know
1: peewee describes that he killed angie by stabbing her with a knife in her rectum and slicing through her vagina he bit off a nipple and sodomized her he stomped her on her pubic, pubic bone and first forced her to perform oral sex on him he took off her clothes and sank her and her belongings into a river he made sure to rob her of any money she had and claimed later on that quote i felt truly the best i ever remembered feeling in my whole life Courtney, this is pretty damn savage especially for a first kill don't you think
0: it is quite brutal, um, but we have to remember that this is not actually his first kill. You know, when he was only 20, he managed to kill the biggest threat and bully on his prison block, Hazel Brazel, by slitting his throat. And his first violent sexual crime was the forced rape of his friend's teenage sister when he was only a teenager himself. I imagine that he had been harboring these intense violent and sexual fantasies for most of his life.
1: He'd be planning this for a long time. Right. Gaskins claims that six weeks later, he obeyed the voice again and got another female hitchhiker as his victim. He did the same things to Daisy as he did to Angie, but this time he chained her up and sunk her in a swamp. He did it again six weeks later along the same stretch of road. He would call this time in his life his, quote, coastal kills. By 1970, he was experimenting more and more with his ritual. He even tried to eat some of his victims. He would eat parts of their bodies as they watched. He started to keep some alive for a few days to torture them. He also started to kill boys, usually those with long hair. He claims he would torture them and eat their genitals. Courtney, tell us about cannibalism, if you know anything.
0: So um, there is an article from 2011 in the magazine Psychology Today that explains things very well, so I am just going to quote that article here. It says, quote, Killing and eating a victim ensures that the offender is never alone. He has the victims with him at all times. They can never leave. This helps the cannibal retain a sense of control over his life. To himself, he has demonstrated mastery over another human being. The victim is now part of him as a trophy. This is intoxicating and drives him to do it again.
1: End quote. Do you think that that was specific to serial killers or like, people who practice cannibalism you know like tribes that we've heard of and stuff in general
0: this was more talking about like the individual cannibals mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. killers and things as opposed to like where it was like part of a virtualistic like tribal okay. ceremony or something got it
1: that's <clears throat> i mean i understand what it's saying but it's a little disturbing yes it is Kiwi would later claim that he killed somewhere between 80 to 90 people altogether. He said he lost track, which doesn't seem to coincide with a lot of other killers we've covered who seem to know a lot of details about all their victims. Maybe it's because he ate them and he didn't need to remember as much. I don't know. In fact, there was only one victim that he knew their whole name, and that was Anne Culberson, who was 16 when he killed her in 1971. He claims he remembered her because at the time he picked her up, he didn't feel like killing, but he didn't want to let the victim get away, you know? just in case. So he killed her anyways. That seems like something different too, don't you think, Courtney? Like killing without really having the urge?
0: I mean, Donald did have a practical side to him, you know, and this was the side that led to him killing Hazel in prison and the side who managed to escape from prison multiple times and who knew enough not to leave witnesses. You know, also for Donald, maybe he just decided that, any reason to kill somebody was a good enough reason
1: he said something like i thought the urge might come later so this was like a pre-measure to beat the urge that might come later or something like that right that's his right. reasoning but peewee then graduated to what he calls his quote serious murders basically those were people he knew he killed his 15 year old niece and her 17 year old friend the two called him for a ride one evening when they had been drinking Wee had previously thought of raping his niece but hadn't this just proved too tempting for him. They fought him though hitting him on the head with a piece of wood, but he had a gun and knocked them out. He raped them, handcuffed them, and drowned them in a septic tank. Ugh. Oh he then buried them. He was questioned by the police and he admitted he saw them the night they disappeared, but then claimed he saw them get into a car with a group of boys. The following month, he killed thirteen year old the thirteen year old daughter of a South Carolina senator. Again, he was questioned, and he provided an alibi. The police eventually believed that William Pierce, who, per the book, was another local serial killer, was responsible for the murder. Pierce denied it at first, but then confessed falsely, perhaps due to the cops using coercion or something to elicit the false confession. There was never real any real evidence linking him to the crime, and he was already serving life in prison for his other murders. Pee-wee would confess to this later in prison. So in 1970, Pee-wee married again, And she had his second child, a son named Donald. Pee-wee killed another acquaintance, perhaps even a lover. It didn't matter who they were. He invited her over one evening and offered her money for sex. He then handcuffed her, punched her, and forced her to eat a bottle of pills. The overdose is what killed her. He dumped her body in a ditch. This murder may have had something to do with the victim being a transvestite who had a romantic romantic interest in Pee-wee. She was also black. He said the killing had nothing to do with race, but he was also concerned about how an interracial relationship would appear. Pee-wee moved his family again and killed again. He killed an African-American couple, bringing his out-of-race killings up to three. We don't typically see this in a serial killer. Usually they kill within their race, and they stick to a type. Courtney, anything you want to offer into this deviation of pattern?
0: So you're correct that most serial killers tend to stick to their own race when choosing victims, a possible explanation for Donald's behavior could be that he was starting to devolve and lose control of his murderous addiction. Finding the perfect victim was becoming less important than the actual act of killing itself.
1: It's like the hunting ritual was like fading. Like
0: right. stalking it's, and finding the perfect victim and Yeah, like it was less important the who he killed and more important mm-hmm. just that he killed.
1: Peewee continued killing and in 1973 moved yet again back to Prospect, South Carolina. His house had burned down and he had no choice. Now, they couldn't prove that he committed the arson, but with his his history of fire crimes, it's pretty likely. He recalls picking up and killing a 14-year-old hitchhiker named Jackie. He not only murdered her, but he ate part of her calf muscle. Ever the oddball, Peewee bought a used hearse during this time, and put a sign in the back window that read, quote, We haul anything, alive or dead. Pee-wee made use of his vehicle. Trigger warning here. He met 23-year-old Doreen Dempsey, who happened to be pregnant, and she also had her 2-year-old child named Robin with her. Pee-wee offered them a ride to the local bus-, bus station. Once he had them in the vehicle, he drove them into the woods and demanded that Doreen have sex with him. Doreen agreed, but then understandably freaked out when he started to undress her two-year-old daughter. Pee-wee killed Doreen with a hammer and then raped and sodomized the small child before strangling her to death. He buried them both in a small grave. Courtney?
0: I have no explanation or reasoning for a grown man to sexually assault and murder a toddler. It's just vile and horrible. Agreed. Pee-wee got into an
1: argument with a friend who owed him money, and shot him to death before he murdered his girlfriend, her name was Jessie, by stabbing her. He raped both of their corpses and buried them in the same grave. He claimed to also have raped and murdered two other boys at this time, um, as well as an acquaintance named Horace Jones, who allegedly tried to start a relationship with Pee-wee's then wife, or quote, wife. So Courtney, I mean, we're just saying he's not killing because of those like serial killer impulses. He's killing to end his problems as well. This seems different from others we've studied. It's like he's a serial killer who kills for power and control with a sexual component, but also like a criminal killer just to end a problem. What are your thoughts on him?
0: So we are seeing that more kind of practical and purely criminal side of him here. He seemed really to have one of the most severe cases of antisocial personality disorder that I've heard of. Um, And clearly he did not value human life at all by this point truly could be the meanest man in America. He very
1: well could be. I mean, I, when I kept reading these cases, I was like, it's almost like I'm reading, um, I want to say like organized crime killing. But, you know, like, it was just, it was Well, he was changing. tied to organized crime. Yeah. And other things. Um, PB later claimed that the year 1975 was his, quote, quote busiest year and my killingest year. He started the year by killing a group of hippies, and they came from Oregon. Big surprise. (laughs) He forced them... Oh, if you guys didn't know that, um, outside the United States, Oregon's kind of known for their hippies. Yep. That's why I was not surprised when I saw that. He forced them by gunpoint into a swamp where they all drowned. He was also hired to kill Silas Yates. He was paid $1,500 for this crime. The woman who commissioned Pee Wee with this crime, later with her partner, attempted to escort him for $5,000. Well, Pee-wee agreed to to pay her the $5,000, and when they went to meet him, he shot them and buried them. There's no honor amongst thieves, I guess. So, like, now he's contract killing. I mean, whatever.
0: (laughs) He will kill for whatever reason he has.
1: Yep. Doesn't bother him at all, pays the bills. It's just, yeah. His last murder was of 13-year-old Kim Gelkins, who repeatedly turned Pee-wee's advances down as well. I mean, she was only friggin' 13. Of course she did. Well, this pissed Pee-wee off, and he raped and murdered her by strangulation, then hid her body in the woods. Kim's family was able to determine that she had last been seen talking to Pee-wee, and the cops went to his dwelling for questioning. And they were able to find Kim's clothes in Pee-wee's closet. And that was close enough as a smoking gun as far as they were concerned. While he was in jail, Pee-wee's closest friend, who was privy to many of the murders he had committed, cracked and told the police what he knew. This was all it took to get Pee-wee to start to confess. uh, Pee-wee took police to the graves of many of his victims on December 4th, and on December 10th, he took them to the graves of the young mother and her two-year-old. Gaskins was found guilty of one count of murder, even though originally he had been charged with eight. He only officially confessed to one. Um, Anyhow, it was enough, and he was sentenced to death. To avoid the death penalty, he then confessed to the other seven murders, and his sentence was commuted to life in prison. New legislation was passed in the state, and those with the power wanted Pee-wee back on death row. So more wheeling and dealing occurred where Pee-wee confessed to more murders to avoid the death penalty.
0: Courtney? Like we said, I think in last week's episode, he is nothing if not a survivor. He has always done the thing that benefits him most in that moment. And until this point, kind of that method had worked for him.
1: Reminded me of Ted Bundy, like, trying to do anything to get his sentence commuted. Yep. Like, I'll help you find the Green River Killer. I'll do this, that, and the other. And they were like, sorry, dude. Yep, exactly. Well, this following part of the story is supposedly what earned him the nickname the meanest man in America. While he was in maximum security, he was contracted to kill a death row inmate named Rudolph Tyner who was on death row for killing an elderly couple during a robbery gone wrong. And I think who um, contracted him was their son. Yeah. Yeah, from the outside. His first attempt at killing this inmate was by using poison. He used leaves from an oleander bush and boiled it down to make a tincture. He added that to Rudolph's food, but it didn't work. It just made him sick. He then decided to use the skills he learned on the outside. Remember, he was quite the mechanic and he knew how to make machines work so he rigged a radio to become a bomb. Apparently, dynamite was smuggled into the prison by the man who hired him for the job, and he made a homemade bomb. The inmate whom he was trying to murder thought that Pee-wee was a friend. Pee-wee told him he created a device that would allow them to talk to each other in their cells by by using the radio. He told him to hold the speaker up to his ear at a particular time, and then they could talk like they were on a telephone. So Rudolph did this at the appointed time, and it blew up. It blew up big. Courtney and I saw what was left of the man on a documentary we watched, and there really wasn't much. Pee-wee's plan worked. Courtney?
0: You know, whoever the guard or warden who thought it was a good idea to give Donald privileges and jobs that gave him access to other prisoners' food, chemicals, electronics, and other people's cells clearly must have realized that they made a horrible mistake. You know, Donald was literally recorded on the phone having conversations about this murder for hire, but somehow was still able to complete his mission.
1: They must not have been monitoring those things until later when they went back to check the records.
0: I guess. Because, yeah, the, I mean, the
1: um, I didn't really go into this, but the person he was conspiring with did get arrested and charged and convicted for Some part of this crime. Like solicitation of murder, I think. And I think they served two years, and they said it was worth it. Mm -hmm. Because they, but, unfortunately, they died of, like, drugs not long after. Anyhow. Well, ironically, it's this kill that got him officially back on death row. So, in hindsight, I wonder if Pee Wee regretted doing this kill. I would imagine so. He was sentenced to death by electric chair. He lost all of his appeals and was slated to die in 1991. On the day of his execution, he attempted to slit his wrists in his cell, hoping it would get him sent to the infirmary instead of the death chamber, but it didn't work. He was killed by the electric chair on September 6, 1991, at one o five a.m. His last words were, quote, I'll let my lawyers talk for me. I'm ready to go. And I looked for what his last meal was, but I couldn't find it. You notice they kill people real late or real early in the morning? They do. They think, do. I think they do that because the other prisoners are sleeping. Maybe the press is not likely to be there. Or like,
0: yeah, I feel like it. They do it like right at like that midnight hour, right when it becomes that day. Mm. Maybe um, just to get it get it over with, with. with. And yeah, I don't know why. That's a good question. If anyone knows the answer to that, let us know. Totally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's it. Do you
0: like? Have anything you want to say about that case? Um, you know he lived up to his reputation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think with all of these serial killers that we've talked about, there's evil, there's disgusting, there's horrible, but really not a lot of just mean. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our serial killers. Yes, are psychopaths or have antisocial personality disorder. But they don't just kind of, like, kill because they want to. Right. Like, there is, there is like, that urge. And they're getting something out of it beyond just, like, well,
1: he was in my way. Right. or, like, that one hitchhiker that he didn't have the urge at all and wasn't going to, like, she didn't have a ton of money on her or anything. Right,
0: right. He just killed. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a truly scary person. Mm-hmm. And he had a really, you know mean reputation we watched that documentary mm-hmm. um that included interviews with his daughter um, she if, seems to think he's innocent i didn't get that about from, well about some of them yeah maybe some of them yeah um but even she said like yeah m- nobody wanted to be around my dad like his reputation preceded him mm-hmm. as being someone who was just a mean person yeah um
1: She reiterated over and over again that she loved him very much, and he was Mm -hmm. always her dad, and she didn't like the things he did. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, he goes on to claim that he's killed up to 100 people. Right. They definitely didn't find evidence of that
0: much. Yeah. Doesn't
1: mean he didn't. The swamp is a great place to put a body.
0: Right. And, you know, at the time, the number of hitchhikers out there on the side of the freeway. Yeah. He probably could pick up 80 to 90 of them. Mm Mm-hmm without anybody noticing over a certain number of years. Yeah. We'll never know. But, all right, well, our next case um,
1: is, let's see, a clue. Um, We haven't done this part of the world yet. We've done its western part of this continent, but not the eastern part of this continent. Right. And I am going to do my best with the pronunciation but it's you guys know me it's gonna be awful so i apologize we'll practice <laughs> yeah because we're <laughs> recording it in five minutes so yeah <laughs> um anyways courtney what do you do when a short man with a silly name
0: and a stolen car offers you a ride you go nuts you go home and then you go to therapy yes that's right everybody stay state oh <laughs> gosh
1: stay safe and we'll see you next tuesday bye bye